In a recent article in Forbes, Representative Ayanna Presley said the following, cancel student loan debt now. She says the average borrower has $30,000 worth of student loan debt. Canceling that will jumpstart the economy. She told that to Yahoo Finance. Black student borrowers borrow and default more than anyone else because of our inability to build generational wealth. I see that as a racial justice issue. On today's episode, we sit down with not only someone who paid down more than $80,000 worth of debt, but also is the host of mediocre to masterful podcast, Nicole Jones. We talk about her journey of paying down the debt, what freedom means to her, and also what her thoughts are on student loan debt in general. Before we get into the show, make sure you sign up to be a premium subscriber so you can get episodes like this early before anyone else exclusive content. Now, let's get into the show. I'm DJ Motri of Black Equity Network, and welcome to Black Equity Podcast. great episode of Black Equity, and I am excited about this conversation. Actually, earlier uh, in the uh, year, we posted on our IG about checking out uh, the different books that we've been reading, and one of the books that I've had the, the opportunity to get my hands on is called Unlearned by Nicole Jones. Uh, Nicole, welcome to Black Equity. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about getting out of debt. I think we're yes, all, de- uh, always a hot topic. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, but you're not just an author. I know we're going to talk about your book. Uh, for those who do not know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself and the, the different platforms that you represent. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. First, thank you for having me on the show. I've been a fan of the network Uh, for quite some time and the information that you share is just valuable and I've been able to learn about new people in the space. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, But yeah, I'm one of those multi hyphenated people like many of us. (laughs) I not only have a book that I just released unlearn that we just discussed and we'll discuss a lot more about, but I'm also a podcaster. Uh, My podcast is mediocre to masterful. Um, And this platform is basically helping Black women operate in their power as it pertains to entrepreneurship, wealth, wellness, um, and just being able to get out of that that rut and that place of complacency and elevate yourself to your most masterful self, your most best version of yourself. So I try to bring people um, on the show to talk about those things. Um, outside of that, my real job is a project manager. So <laughs> nice, nice. I am a project manager for an IT company here in Atlanta. I've been in project management for seven years now or so. 
Um, so it's, it's been a blessing and, and I live here in Atlanta, just me and my husband here in Atlanta. And of course we have family in here and everything. So that's a little bit about me and, you know, I'm just excited to talk more about, um, those platforms and more specifically black equity and how to get out of debt and, you know, getting out of $80,000 worth of student loan debt. (laughs) Yes. When I first came across this, uh, concept, the $80,000 of student loan debt, I was telling you before we had an opportunity uh, to start recording, whenever I read uh, read financial books, it's never really from the standpoint of student loan debt. Mm-hmm. It's usually maybe credit card debt mm-hmm. or something along that more, I guess, more like consumer-based type debt. So I think for many people, this is actually more relatable yeah. Then, because a lot of people aren't necessarily going out and just, you know, spending a whole bunch of money yeah, and have $80,000 of credit card debt. Some people are. Yeah. But a lot of people are, they went to school, they got a really great education. And then at the end of that education was debt, 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 debt. Mm-hmm. And especially from our generation, what, what inspired you to uh, write this book. Let's just start there. What encouraged you and inspired you to sit down and put this book together? No, that's a great question. And you, you pretty much spoke to why, one of the reasons why I did that, because we as millennials are all dealing with student loan debt for the most part, are dealing with student loan debt. It's, I mean, you hear statistics left and right of the reasons why millennials are still at home, the reasons why millennials are, you know, still in debt, the reasons why millennials are not home buying, and it's just different reasons, and it all goes back to student loan debt is where it all yeah. kind of like <laughs> the, the fork in the road then comes together and it gets student loan debt. Um, so because of that reason, I knew my story was not just my story. And I thought it was important to share, you know, as a millennial, as someone still in early thirties, like it is possible, is it, it is attainable to actually eliminate student loan debt. It is one of the most daunting practices there is out there is practices in terms of having to pay this month over month, or maybe you defer your loans. And it's just like one of those dark clouds that you just don't want to talk about. And you put it under the rug and you sweep it all the way in the back and never (laughs) throw it out. And it's just one of those things where you you're, you're just thinking like, this is going to last me my entire life. This is something I'm going to pay on continuously and it's just not going to go away. And so the reason why I wrote this book is to show people like you can get rid of debt. I am just, you know, an, an average person who went to college, um, you know, did not come from a wealthy background, did not have a lot of scholarships outside of the hope scholarship that comes from staying within the state that you're in. Um, I, you know, there, nothing was handed to me. And to allow people to know, you know, these, there are some steps that you can take, some things you need to reflect back on internally, and just different actions that you can take to actually eliminate student loan debt. And then also understand what your current financial money management thought process is today outside of student loan debt. Maybe you don't manage money well. I talk about that piece as well in terms of like my own personal journey and how I had to reframe my thinking. So that's where it all came to be. <laughs> Definitely understand that. So I was reading through your book and there's a couple of things that jumped out at me. And obviously I want people to actually read the book. So I don't want to give it all away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll tell you what was uh, touching my soul the most mm. was this idea of 
of generate uh, breaking generational curses. I, I, I may be wording it a little bit different mm-hmm. than how you have it in the book, but can you speak to the idea of generational curses and generational wealth? Because we mm-hmm. always talk about generational wealth, yeah. but in order to do that, there has to be something broken. There has to be something uh, kind of you know shifted. Can you kind of speak to that concept? Yes, yes, yes. No, that's a great question. So before I could actually get to the point where I am today and proudly say I completed all my student loan debt and it's paid off, I had to then get to the root of why I was operating the way I was with money. And for me, it was, there was a broken concept when it came to money in the the family household, basically. Um, Meaning, Growing up in a, in a situation where, again, a single family household, having to take care of kids and everything else, that comes with struggles, that comes with sacrifice. And seeing that growing up, in my mind, I thought this was a normal, that was a normal act. So when I grow up, I'm also going to have to like sacrifice and struggle in certain areas when it came to finances. And like many people, there were not a lot of conversations around the table around, you know, you know, it, you know, exorbitant amount of wealth and different things other than, you know, grow up, go to school, do well, get married, have kids, you know, and be better than I was basically. And for me to actually understand why I was having poor habits and making bad choices when it came to financial money management, I had to get to the root of why I was having these these downfalls and these roadblocks to begin with. And that took me having to understand what 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 is repeating throughout my family history when it came to money. Not, you know, people think about, you know, health reasons. People think about just different stigmas, religious reasons that happen in their family that repeats time over time. But money is also a, a big piece of that when it comes to breaking curses within the family. Um, and for me, it was just sitting back and reflecting on the struggles that we had to go through growing up and then really realizing, like, I didn't really have a formal financial literacy education growing up other than being told it's important to save it's important to go to school but not really putting and connecting the dots onto as to why that's happening and how to actually do that so that's why I put um, that generational curse standpoint in there because I thought it was important to say you know it's not just you're making bad choices with money. This could be stemming from something you have learned and has been instilled in you along the way that you're just not identifying with. So it's hard for you to understand why you keep making these bad choices because you haven't gone back and thought further into how did I get to this process where I feel like this is a normal, you know, normal act in terms of financial money management. So Nicole, when you, when you were giving me that answer, what I'm picturing is, this idea of awareness yeah Yeah. but a lot of people don't have that (laughs) what is it about you and your journey where yes you were were aware of the generational curses and and saying well okay well why am I thinking this way why am I moving this way Mm -hmm. and that is a that's a gem within itself to be able to recognize it Mm -hmm. but what about your life what about your journey has allowed you to discern that mm. type of thing in your life because not everybody does yikes that's a that's a real question <laughs> i really maybe i'm just weird in that way <laughs> no, 
I don't think I don't it's, know. Weird at all. it's just one of those things. And maybe it's, it, it is, you know, not everybody thinks in that term, like I need to reflect back on my family history or how I grew up or what I've learned along the way. I'm just one of those people that likes to think and reflect on, well, how did I get here? I'm, I am a fan of psychology and everything else. I never went to school for psychology. I went to school for mass communications. Um, but to me, I thought it was always intriguing. So maybe it's a part of me that likes the understanding behind that as to, as to why my brain thinks certain ways. So I then thought, okay, if this is, this is how I am continuously making bad choices with money, this has to be an, a habit that has grown in me and been instilled in me from something that I've learned and something that I'm not, I just don't know where to pinpoint this. And once I actually sat down, literally wrote out like what that plan is and why I was having these issues. And I'm one of those people who has a journal and kind of writes out my thoughts and everything else. Um, it just took me having that reflection, having that time to reflect and think back, okay, why can't I get over this hurdle? And then, which then brought me back to my, my roots, if you want to say, in terms <laughs> of where this came from. So maybe it's just my weird way of thinking as to why I got to that point. And like you said, the discerning thought process and, and how I got here, but that's, I, for me, it was important to be able to identify that. And I think if I'm able to, you know, hit the nail on the head by doing so, and then it's brought me to this point, then I think it would also would be helpful for other people to pick that same thought process up and understand, you know, maybe it, maybe it is you, I was gonna say, maybe it's not you, it is you, <laughs> but where did this all come from? And it's not to say and point a finger at, you know, your elders or the people that you grew up with to say that they're the reason and they're the cause of why you're so horrible. It was just a part of life. And maybe at that point, that was just the way that they knew how to survive. Maybe that's just the best that they knew. Maybe that's just the best information that they had at the time, because that's all they had and learned at the time. So it's not necessarily to point a finger as to, well, my aunt and my daddy and my uncle and my mom or whomever is the reason why I can't succeed financially. Mm -hmm. It's more so, so a reflection on, well, they did the best that they could with what they had. So now it's for me to then in turn take that and figure out how can I make this the best from the situation that I grew up in. Understood. You mentioned the $80,000 of student loan debt, mm. right? Mm. You know that that kept ringing in my ear. It was, wait, wait a second. Why? Okay. Let me see if I can put this the best way. <laughs> Do you think, and maybe you don't want to answer this, and I'll just move on. Do you think our schooling is worth eighty thousand dollars? Do you, mm -hmm. or do you, do you think the amount of schooling that we received is worth the amount that we paid for? I mean, it's, it's wonderful that we're, we're we're giving them a blueprint for how to pay down the debt, but I'm mm -hmm. wondering, is that debt even really supposed to be there, in mm -hmm. your opinion? That's a great, I never actually thought of it in that way. I've thought of it in a way of, should we be getting loans at 18 years old and be able to sign for it at that standpoint? Because right. we're not educated at that point. So I've thought of, thought of it from that standpoint, but was the education worth that amount? That's a, that's an amazing question. And yikes. So, and to be fair, 
My original debt was around $60,000 okay. to be fair. And then it ballooned to 80,000 because I was not handling my money right. So okay. <laughs> because fair. I just allowed the, the amount to just accrue and the interest just got skyrocketed and it was just all bad. So all that's in the book. We, we know this, but <laughs> um, I, mm, was it worth that much? I want to say no. I don't think it was worth the experience and what I learned and what I gained. Yes, that part is absolutely priceless. Right. The tag behind it for me to actually gain this education and still, after I came out of school, have to work even 10 times more harder than what I did when I was in school, that price tag to me doesn't always equate to what happened after college. And if that makes sense, because it, it just didn't. <laughs> right. And I, I guess I, I could say that because... I don't know, even today, you still hear a lot of people who say they are struggling to find opportunities in their career that they work so hard to be in and study for throughout their four years or eight years or however long they've been in school. Um, and then you get into some instances where there are jobs out there asking to have a, a college degree or an MBA, but you're still making well below minimum wage or, or close to I should say like there's just a lot of back and forth when it comes to that so I want to say it's I feel like it should be much more attainable a lot more affordable for people to go to school given the the many instances that occur after you graduate in terms of job placement if, if it made sense would you be open to uh, free education as far as college education uh, just across the board, would that be something you'd be open to if it if it didn't come with crazy small print details that meant mm -hmm. something else along with it? But if it was just on the up and up, mm -hmm. free education is that something you would support? I would support free education. Um, I feel like the internet is free education, though. <laughs> the internet has so much resources and and details, information. YouTube university. Everybody calls it YouTube university for a reason because you are learning, being educated. <laughs> Right. <laughs> on so many different things. You could be um, a graphic designer just by watching a slew of YouTube videos. Um, so free education, I'm totally for. I do feel like that's, that's actually readily available to all of us. Um, I do believe education sh should have, a, I guess, a price tag behind it. Maybe not as much as what we currently, they, it's currently out there for. What that number is, I don't know. But $80,000 not it. <laughs> I was I was seeing recently, I think I was looking on LinkedIn and you know, people write articles and someone was saying with coronavirus and the lockdown that as the schools come back, mm -hmm. um, they're going to be more virtual uh, for the next year or so. Yeah, for so sure. So the price tag will go down as far as the amount that people have to pay to go to school. And I said, oh, well, of course, that would make perfect sense. But then the price tag was only going down 10%. And I said, wait, hold on. Because if the, I thought the majority of schooling was room and board. Room and board. Yeah. That's so, more than 10%. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm a little confused because I think, I think they're playing us. Mm. Actually, I, I think I know, but I'll just say think. <laughs> I think they're playing us because something's not adding up because they were saying that, hey, you're paying this amount because, hey, it's room and board. But I feel like with the uh, pandemic, coronavirus, mm -hmm. however you want to classify it, mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people's systems are kind of being revealed as 
as not being genuine mm-hmm. um, because people are st- those those edu- uh, those schools they're still trying to meet a certain type of quota because they still have their bills. Although yeah. we're not staying on their campuses anymore, they still have to pay for those buildings. They still oh, have to pay sure. for uh, all those things. And so they're putting that that expense on the student that isn't even there. And so I'm just, I'm just trying to understand how this whole college situation is going to go moving forward. How do you, how do you envision it? That's really interesting. Yeah. I, again, to, to my point earlier, I definitely think the price tag should go down whether we're back on campus or not. And it's just virtual. Yeah. That that's, that's too much. It's a lot. And like you said, I would have thought that the price points that colleges are at now is because of room and board and facilities are being used and you got to pay a janitorial staff and you got to pay light bills and you got to pay, you know, just the dorm rooms or the, or the fraternity rooms and like just different equipment and things that are being used on actual brick and mortar that is not being used. Everything is digital. There's right. no reason why these kids should have to pay only 10% less than what they mm-hmm. would if they were actually in a classroom setting. Um, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I agree with that at all because it just, it's actually the 10% is helpful, but it doesn't add up to what actually is being utilized. And that's just a virtual platform at this point. I I think what I was reading was it was going to be 10 to 15%, the highest 20% off, but I was saying it should really be the reverse. It should be, in my opinion, of course, I mean, I I don't know all the the numbers and the the way it's all outlined. Mm -hmm. it, It seems to me that if room and board takes up so much, then it really should be taking off somewhere closer to 60%, if not 70. And I venture to say it could go up to 80, depending on the situation. Uh, but it, it, it seems like perhaps a lot of things are kind of baked in to, mm, uh, the, to the cost. Yeah, the overhead cost. Yeah. yeah, probably so. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'll have to actually read more on that because I had not seen anything about that. But yeah, I would think at least over 50%, if not 50% off what's currently being asked of these kids. And that way that allows more people to actually afford to go to schools, but then you have the student loan piece is where they, it comes back into like, is this all a part of it? Like, are we still requiring certain students to then have to get a loan yeah. to then still go to school? With 50% right. slashed, that might help a lot of people or 50 plus percent slash that would help a lot of people get into the education system um, and make their, you know, their way through college versus feeling like a struggle because they can't afford it one. And then two, you know, student loans are such a bear, but this would allow people, a lot more people the chance to do that. I also want to take a moment to talk about your, your podcast, Mediocre to Masterful. Yeah. And I'm going to segue in because I think this, this relates do you think school prepares us for entrepreneurship? I know your podcast, uh, part of your podcast is talking about entrepreneurship and, and promoting and empowering women for entrepreneurship. And so as we segue into talking about your podcast, the natural conversation to me is, you know, when you're going through schooling and you get that $60,000 uh, uh, price tag, and of course, they're going to read your book and figure out how to pay that down and be financially free. 
but does it really p- prepare you for entrepreneurship or is it the YouTube, YouTube university mm-hmm. mentors that, that do that or your podcast that will help somebody do that? Um, definitely the podcast, <laughs> definitely mentors. <laughs> so definitely shameless plug. Um, but you know, there are courses for entrepreneurship in school. Like if you were in the side of the house where you're in business, they do mm-hmm. teach entrepreneurship. Um, I'm not sure what they've changed since I've been in school, but I would hope that they have more opportunities within the entrepreneurial space. Um, But outside of that, I wouldn't, I feel like if you want to be an entrepreneur, you are somebody who innately thinks in that spirit, like you have that spirit already. So you can literally take anything that you've learned in school, that you've learned at your first job, that you've learned in your first job out of college, uh, the people that you grew up with. I feel like you, if you're an entrepreneurial or, or have that entrepreneurial spirit, you're someone who can literally take anything that you've learned and experienced throughout life and turn it into an entrepreneur opportunity. Um, so does it, does school prepare you for entrepreneurship if you're not in business? I think yes. If you're somebody who already thinks in terms of um, business strategy and, you know, business marketing or, just in terms of having serial, being a serial entrepreneur and having multiple businesses. Um, I think anything literally prepares you to be an entrepreneur, um, whether you you go to school or not. Maybe you didn't go to college. Maybe it's just the people that's around you in your neighborhood and maybe you just started to go right into working or maybe you just took some time off to travel, whatever that is. Um, I think it's really the person that you are and that you want to become will allow you to be an entrepreneur that you envision yourself to be. Whether you have the the knack that you want to get into or not, you will figure it out along the way as you experience different things. But I would say, yeah, I think it does prepare you for that. Understood. So I'm listening to your podcast Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm wondering, I understand the, uh, you you studied mass communication. So the, the, the communication side of being able to get a message out. I'm wondering for you, how has podcasting transformed your life? So I would say while I was, I think this is so funny and it's really just a, like a full circle moment. When I first went into school, I thought I wanted to be a producer. So I was in communications. Actually, I I thought I was going to be a news journalist, like a Mm -hmm. news reporter and all that great stuff. Got into that, wasn't really my cup of tea. Then I was like, well, I'll try production. So I'll go into like radio production. And I did that for quite some time, did a lot of internships. I actually worked at uh, V103 for quite some time as an intern. And I was like, this is fun. This is great. I get to meet celebrities, but it doesn't, I don't feel like this is the spark. And I, and I did some other opportunities after that, but I find it so funny, like the little internships and the things that I did along the way has now led me right back to <laughs> being able to have a mic in front of me and mm-hmm. be able to speak on the podcasting and like producing my own podcast. Like it's right. so wild. Um, but I feel like for this podcast, it's definitely allowed me to really encourage and inspire a lot of people. I think for me, this is something I've always been one of those people who 
encourages other people and when they have an idea i'm like girl do it like that is just that simple just do it or you know here's some ideas here's some people that i know here's some links to some articles so to be able to have this platform and this podcast to you know my own production company if you will <laughs> to inspire mm-hmm. and share this with other people has really just been able to um allow me to work and operate in a, in a space that I feel comfortable doing um, and that I actually feel like I thrive in and I actually enjoy. It doesn't feel like a chore. It just feels like outside of work, I get to be myself and encourage people to go after their goals, go after their dreams and teach them, whether it's me giving advice or the people that I have on the show, how to actually get to the point of success. So it's it's definitely been a, a game changer for me and just a place of peace, if I put it that way. We featured uh, your episode about legacy. I believe that was the one that uh, you and your husband recorded together. Yes, that was we, fun. We featured that on our uh, Black Frequency Travels playlist uh, a couple weeks ago. Nice. Um, so what what was that experience like uh, sharing your story and talking about legacy, talking about the future uh, alongside someone that you mentioned in your book as being a very uh, important figure uh, <laughs> towards uh, reaching that uh, financial freedom? That was an amazing episode. I mean, I could say every episode that I've done so far is my favorite episode, but I really enjoyed that one. It was special. One, because I most of my guests are, of course, females. I have female entrepreneurs on the show. Right, right. So to have my husband on the show was pretty awesome. Um, and again, between that episode and this book and everything else that we're building together, that particular episode really spoke to that legacy piece in terms of this is, yes, I am shining in this path right now in terms of a podcast and all the things that we have going on, but this also didn't come without somebody who I can, is definitely my support system, my husband, the person who is my biggest cheerleader, and he's a super introvert, so he would not actually cheer, (laughs) but he is, I know for a fact, 1000%, he is always in my corner, he is there beside me, and we support each other in in different ways. He's a super um, techie as well, outside of being an introvert, so we support each other in, in so many different ways, and I just find it extremely beautiful that we've been able to really, like, partner together, not only as a married couple, but like as business partners, if you will, in terms of like building each other up and supporting each other and figuring out what, what do you do well and what do I do well and how can we come together and make the best approach or who do we need to bring in from our friend circle to help elevate us in this space. Um, So we together are just like, um, <laughs> he's the best. He's the best. Now you got me blushing because I'm talking about. Him. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. <laughs> but no, it was. It's just a beautiful thing to be able to get on that particular episode and talk about how we, as a couple, operate and some of the struggles that we had to get through. Mm-hmm. Even from like a financial point, and there's like you mentioned, there's a section in the book where not only was a fi- the financial journey a personal journey for me, but him and I were like dating at the time. So we were mm-hmm. like trying to, you know, build each other up, not only in love, but also in finances. So um, we had a lot of lengthy conversations and real conversations when it comes to money. And I, I, 
in the book, we really try, or I really try to portray the fact that, you know, it's important to have check-ins with your significant other, whoever that person is. If you guys are trying to build together, money has to be a topic of discussion that's on the table, like no doubt. Um, and that's one of the things that we identified super early in our relationship. And that was critical to us continue to build together, you know, get our first home and just being able to elevate in ways that we had not seen before in our own families. Um, again, not coming from a background of wealth and it's like, okay, how can we not only do this in our own right and get over the generational curses and start new, you know, generational success, um, but how do we do that without having that backing and knowing that we're now going to be the change agents for our future coming up? So between the book and that podcast, it's really one of the things that's really important to us is just building, 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 building for a positive change within our own household and then to help support and, you know, give advice to people who are around us. I love it. Um, <laughs> since I have you in front of me and you're, you're building a, a uh, podcast that is for uh, women entrepreneurs, what has been the, co the constant thread through the conversations that you're having of, of triumphs for women in the entrepreneurship space and then some of the pitfalls or the things that they're noticing that have been an issue? Because you obviously are going to have a way different perspective than I ever will because you're, you know, dedicating this and putting this for uh, women entrepreneurs. Yeah. So what have you found in that area? So the, the common thread that I have heard time over time, which is actually um, a positive thing and has actually been the pitfall at the same, in the same mm -hmm. boat is to give yourself grace. That is the common slogan. I should actually rename my podcast, <laughs> give yourself grace. So somebody okay. can have that one. If it's not already taken, <laughs> you better go ahead and grab that right now. <laughs> Give yourself grace because that's been the common thread time and time again. And it stems from, um, in some cases, wanting to do everything on your own mm -hmm. and not bring in team or reaching out to people for help and not allowing yourself to be open and accept help from other people. Um, it's also from a place of just being multifaceted, uh, being able, some people are still working a nine to five plus their business. Some people are career driven and just are escalating in their career, but they also have a family and it's just different, you know, ebbs and flows when it comes to, you know, a career woman's life, whether you are nine to fiver or an entrepreneur. Um, but give yourself grace has been the common thread throughout. And it's basically saying, you know, you will, you're going to go through some stuff. Um, you're going to go through some pitfalls. There are going to be some stuff you just flat out fall on your face about, but you have to step back, look at the whole situation, look how far you've actually come and understand that you will not be able to be superwoman at everything. Your, your weaknesses are going to shine through at some point and you're just not going to be good at it. So at that point, give yourself grace, understand that you don't have everything, but you have everything you need for you in order for you to succeed. Definitely. What have you, uh, when it comes to uh, women entrepreneurs, is the narrative true? And I, I think you're the best person for me to ask this. Mm -hmm. Is this narrative true that women entrepreneurs are not receiving the funding that other uh, 
or at least black women entrepreneurs are not receiving the funding that other women entrepreneurs are or what men are receiving. Is, is that a, is that something that you notice? Is that something that is uh, a glaring situation or is it, has it been overblown? What have you seen when it comes to that? That's one of the things that I'm actually still like researching. I do personally try to provide resources that I know, you know, more frequently black women are being represented and being funded when it comes to grants and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is an issue. It is an issue. Do I have the statistics? No, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is definitely an issue. And the reason why I say that is um, one, it's, it's a topic. Mm-hmm. So that right there tells you that we are not being supported in the best way that we can in this space, you know, outside of, you know, not getting the same pay rate as people when, if you're in a nine to five. Um, but when it comes to entrepreneurship, what I'm also noticing is that a lot of black women and black men are creating spaces for us to be able to get funded. So because we can't, we won't wait and we're not always looking to other counterparts Black people are creating it for ourselves. We're creating and establishing certain spaces for people to submit their application and, you know, um, submit their business to actually get funded and get the support that they need and using resources and funding from other corporations that support this initiative. So I'm noticing a lot more frequently uh, women are, women and men are creating spaces for us to then feel represented and not that we're on the back burner and that if we submit there's no way they're going to choose us because they're going to choose the, you know, the next person that doesn't look like us. Um, So what I've really appreciated about, you know, not only having that conversation and that it is a topic of discussion and something that I want to look more into, but without even having to say too much, we were like, okay, without us having to continue to talk about this, let's just be about it and create our own Mm -hmm. funding opportunities for people to be able to thrive in. Definitely. Who are the ideal women entrepreneurs that you want to highlight on your podcast? What type of uh, sectors, what type of journeys, what type of uh, profile? Mm-hmm. Um, who is ideal for you that, that you see in your next season of your podcast? Yeah. So this next season, which is launching very soon, mm-hmm. August 4th, if it's not past August 4th already. <laughs> It'll be be close. (laughs) Right, right. Um, But this next season is all about women sharing their insight. Again, what I try to make sure is represented in the the episode is a point where you were at one point mediocre or you've gone through something that kind of held you back or you've just been in a a place of self-discovery and trying to understand what is my path. And then to them share their story from that point all the way to this is what my current success looks like, not what the ultimate success looks like. This is what my current success looks like. This is what I did to get out of that rut. So basically somebody who has a story to share that, you know, at one point I was in this place. It wasn't a great place. I was maybe depressed. I was maybe, you know, looked past for the opportunity, or maybe I was just hard on myself and I really didn't give myself enough credit to then sharing your your path of getting out of that negative space, being able to look at the cup half full versus half empty and share your story in which you could then share with the community of other listeners who are on also on the rise and who are also in currently in some of those ruts that they're that you 
might have been in at one point to share this is how you get out of that space here are the tools to do so and you can contact me if you need more information speaking of contacting you for those who are listening to this episode and they they're feeling your frequency they want to make sure that they're within your your space how do they connect with you to be a guest on your podcast uh, maybe even sponsor your podcast or work with you in any type of way what is that process Definitely, definitely. Or you just buy the book, you know? Yes, definitely. Um, they can go to, I was going to get there. <laughs> they can go to MediocreToMasterful.com. I literally have all the information there between the podcast, um, some of the items that are in our, that I sell in terms of the book and some other planners, um, as well as just, you know, what's coming up, what's, what's to come in terms of um, signing up for the newsletter. Um, so you can get up-to-date information on upcoming shows and when I'm looking for guests. Um, so they can go to mediocretomasterful.com. It's the same for Instagram and Facebook. You just mm-hmm. go at mediocre to masterful and you can find me there. Okay. So back to the book. See, I, I was, I was going to get there. You didn't let me. <laughs> so I still had a couple questions from the book, but I wanted to highlight your podcast as well. So we, we have a, a few minutes left. How did it feel? Because I remember actually the first time I bumped into you digitally, you were celebrating being financially free. Mm-hmm. You may not remember that, but I remember being on IG Live and you had the balloons and everything was very exciting. I said, oh yeah, we got to talk. And so it took a while, but we had an opportunity now to sit down mm-hmm. and talk. So how did that feel to be financially free? How did it feel that day to be celebrating it? How did the whole thing feel as you're shifting and going into a new reality for yourself? It felt, it's in, indescribable, honestly. It felt, I felt light. Mm. <laughs> I didn't feel like there was some financial load on my shoulders in terms of student loan debt. Um, I felt grateful, extremely grateful, because I know, although you know, this is me taking initiative and being disciplined during that financial journey, And, you know, of course, my husband was there with me all along the way to kind of coach me and guide me as well. But this is also all God. God helped me get to this point and allowed me to get to this point of financial freedom. The the whole process and the journey was not by happenstance. And for me to actually complete this at this point in my life, which I never thought I would complete it this soon, thought this was going to last until my retirement age. it's a complete blessing and being able to have the thought and the process and the ideas, you know, that I created and put into this book. But I know ultimately God is the one that basically downloaded this information into my mind to like, do this, write this, include this information, share this, share, share these tools. So it was just an extreme, extreme, you know, light and grateful opportunity to actually say, I am debt free. Even talking about it now is kind of like, (laughs) it feels surreal as well um, to actually be able to say that and actually live that and and understand and know that, yes, this is my story, but I also want the people around me, the people who are listening, my family, my friends, and complete strangers to know it is possible. And that's that these opportunities and me sharing this story and journey is going to change someone else's life to actually get there. People I probably will never even talk to or meet or they'll, will never reach out or whatever, but to know that this changed someone else's life, but then becomes a trickle effect to say this changed someone else's life like that in itself is just 
amazing. <laughs> so I came across this part of your book and to me it was uh, the second thing that jumped out at my soul mm-hmm. because there's, there's, there's almost, there's almost a, a different way to look at going about the breaking the generational curse thing down because mm-hmm. you could have uh, $80,000, $60,000 worth of debt. And then that could be like a generational curse, you know, you know, you have this debt there and figuring out your, your, your money spending habits and all that good stuff. But then you could have never, never had any debt. And I still think you could be in a situation where it's not productive because there's this narrative out there and please, you know, correct me if you feel that I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, where people are like, just save your money, just save your money, save your money. But I reached a part of your book where it was telling me two other things to do besides save your money. And so where is this narrative in your mind where people aren't going that next step? They're just like, you know, just save your money, have your money, but then they do nothing with it. To me, that's almost just as bad as, you know, Mm -hmm. having the debt there and not paying that off. If it's just sitting there and not doing anything, what value does that bring? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. So there's something I just saw recently on social media where it was an article about someone who had left their job and then they put it in an IRA, their 401k into an IRA, and it was just sitting there. And all this time they thought it was performing. Mm. And my first thought was, yikes, oh my God, doesn't have right. to take your money all these years. It didn't necessarily say how many years they, it dawned on them that their money wasn't working for them. Right. But essentially it was to what you just said and, and what's in the book that you can't just save your money. You can't just roll over a 401k to an IRA and not actually have it perform somewhere and invest it in certain diverse portfolios. And it's just going to sit there. It's not going to gain any interest. It's not going to, you know, perform like you thought it would 10 years from now. And you're going to have the same amount that you had 10 years before, 10 years later into that account. Um, so it's important to understand the, the method of saving, why it's important, why you should have that emergency stash. Um, but you also have to be able to allow your money to grow and work for you as well, which then goes into stocks and and bonds and just different things of that nature and where you can have your money begin to invest and make money on itself time over time maybe you're not the one actually pressing the buttons and you have like a brokerage company to help you but it's so important to have that and have it in place because it's just one of those things where if you do have a company helping you and assisting you with that process it's a set it and forget it opportunity where your money by the time you look up, you're, you're about to retire and you have buku money set to the side that you had no idea. Well, I hope you have an idea about it if you have somebody mm-hmm. working on it. But you, you know what I mean? Like you, you didn't know it was doing so well. So now you're at the point of retirement where you're like, wow, this money has been working for me all these years that I've been literally working to the bone at my job. So to be able to think further than, you know, make sure you have X amount of dollars saved in your account. Also think about how can you invest? How can you be able to gain more money in different ways? Maybe that is starting like a a side hustle of sorts in terms of like an e-commerce business or something or, or write a book and have that just make money for you on the side. But it is super important that we think further than have a certain amount of money saved. I know 
for me, it was important to, to share that because at one point I, I couldn't even save $10 in my savings account. Mm -hmm. And that was a struggle for me. So for me to then get to the point where I had thousands of dollars saved, it was like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm at, I made it. I made it. Like I did it. And I'm like, mm, yeah, I need to think past this now. Like I need to think about more of a, an investing terms and how can my money make money for me? So it's, it's super important. And I think it's baby steps being able to understand where your strengths are, how much can you retain in terms of information? Because for some people, this might be a whole different financial literacy path and things that they never thought about because they're trying to get over one hurdle of one, keeping money in their bank account mm -hmm. and two, actually establishing and building a savings account so they have an emergency. And then three, being able to get to a certain point within that savings account and then four, increase their salary. To, you know, so it's like a whole ripple effect of information that as a person who this is new for them, you have to go through these steps and understand. Maybe you'll skip, you know, get through steps two through five at the same time, which is awesome. But, you know, the one of those steps does and for sure needs to include investments as well. Nicole, how does it feel to be a thought leader and an author in the financial space? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> Did you always want to be an author? Was it, is, is this your first book? This is my first book. Okay. Um, never thought I would be an author, author. It wasn't one of those things that, and you know what? I take that back. I put author a while back in terms of like goals of mine, but it's just mm -hmm. like one of those things like, oh, one day I'll be an author. What I'll, what will I write about? I don't know. But okay. here I am writing about something I had no idea I would be writing about as my first book, financial literacy, because it was just one of those things I just didn't do well in. <laughs> Who am I to write a book about financial literacy at the time where I was not doing well in financial space? But here I am talking about that entire journey and being able to share here are the steps that got me to this point. Again, I am not claiming to be an advisor or an expert in the financial space, but mm -hmm. more so just sharing my personal story from a person who had overdrawn accounts and was in the red multiple times over time, over time, writing a book about how I got out of that space and then paying off $80,000 worth of student loan debt. Like it, it just blows my mind that I was like, I wrote this book. <laughs> about this. But you know, you, you said something just a few seconds ago, you said, well, who am I? You know, I, I thought I would be one of the last people, but because of your journey, it actually positions you to be one of the perfect people yeah. to have the conversation because you actually went through something. Yep. Because yep. there's, there's people that are talking about, hey, go do this, go do this. And they never went through anything. Mm -hmm. And so they don't, you know, they don't know exactly how to do it. They're just giving you information that they stole off of a YouTube university. <laughs> but you actually went through it. So your journey becomes, uh, becomes your story becomes a, a perfect uh, opportunity yeah. for someone to learn. Yeah. 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 Here I am. I'm an author. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. It's crazy. No, it's an amazing thing. Uh, it's, it's really great. And it's, I'm happy. It's out there. It's been a labor of love for sure. And to share this story with, with other people, I just pray that it changes someone else's life and has them think in, in different terms. And, you know, a lot of the things that we've been talking about on this show, um, I just hope that it sparks something for someone else as well. Definitely. Now we still have a few minutes left. Mm -hmm. So I've been asking you all these questions, right? The door, the floor is open. If you want to ask any questions, because I know you're a podcaster, so 
<laughs> I, I have a feeling you just have questions just ready to roll. We got about 10 minutes left. What questions do you have for us? And then, of course, we'll let everybody know where they can uh, go and uh, copy your book or receive your book, pay yeah. for your book. Yeah, so I guess let's start with your audience. Let's talk about your people who listen, tune into the show. When in terms of financial management, like what are some of the main things that your audience normally is drawn to or some of the pain points that they've already shared with, with you directly during, you know, through DM or comments that you think will help this, you know, this particular platform and this information being shared will actually resonate with them really well. Well, the biggest thing that I've come across through just speaking with people is you're tired of being played. Mm. There's a there's there's all these different people out there that are selling courses or even, you know, people who have podcasts. And a lot of that is used to manipulate the audience oh. and, you know, get as much money from them as possible. And so what what I have found is the majority of our guests, I can't say 100 percent, mm-hmm. the majority of our guests who come on, they give them the real they feel like through our conversations that they're going to get an honest uh, review because they know that I'm not going to allow someone to sit there and not at least ask the the right questions. I feel like sometimes people are using podcasts, they're using their courses, they're using their, their huge IG pages in order to bring people over, charge them whatever it is. And then they, they're a hundred dollars short, and they didn't really necessarily get the value. It's almost similar to when people are going to school and they got a sixty thousand dollar debt, and then you walk mm-hmm. out it's like I don't think it was worth that much. Maybe yeah. fifteen, yeah. maybe ten, but not you know sixty. Yeah. And so I think where what people are receiving uh, from our our podcast and our network is the truth, no fluff. We're not trying to sell you sell you anything. Very few times I've ever sold anything. We do have a membership for our premium side. But other than that, I'm really just trying to get you access to the dopest people in the, in the community. Yeah. And from there, whatever sparks from there, the, the relationships and strategic partnerships that spark from there, that's wonderful. And it's a blessing, but I think that's what people really uh, are gravitating away from. They're tired of being played. They're tired of putting thousands and thousands of dollars into gurus who don't know anything. Yeah. And uh, we want to give them access to people who've been through the journey. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. Wow. That's, that's real. That's real out here. There's so many gurus out there now. And it's like, okay, who should I actually invest in? Like, mm-hmm are they all the best or is this just fluff? Is it something that I could, I could have literally just got off of YouTube? Like, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I guess my other question is one of the things you said that spoke to your soul was the, the generational wealth piece or mm-hmm. generational curse piece. Why, why so much so did that speak to you? Is it that it's something that you are also trying to come over that hurdle or what, what are some of the things that sparked you outside of just that, that specific chapter? Sure. Well, when, because if we're going to have a generational wealth conversation, we have to be honest. Mm-hmm. It can't be, we can't romanticize generational wealth in my opinion. And so when we write books or put courses together or build platforms and we start talking about generational wealth, we just start there. We just say, 
make a whole bunch of money and invest. And then we, you know, we charge somebody money for it. And then everybody goes home and everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, hold on. We got to get down to the roots here. Time out. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't start a garden and then magically the fruits and vegetables are already there. No, it don't work that way. It don't work. At least not from where I come from. And so what I'm saying is let's pull up all the, the the dead roots and everything that was going on before let's let's plow this land let's get this land ready and let's prepare it for generational wealth and i feel like the only way to do that is to talk about generational curses to talk about the the mishaps that led to this so then we don't repeat them yes and so that's why it stood out to me because then i knew that you're coming from a genuine place mm-hmm. if i open up your book and the first thing it says is generational wealth you know, go ahead and access it right now. Here's how to do it. Here are the five things to go do it. Now go on your way. Then I know, okay, hold on now. What's going on here? <laughs> but when I come, when I come down, I sit down, I'm like, okay, we got wisdom here mm-hmm. because you're pulling out the roots and you're getting this thing ready uh, for us to really truly grow. Yeah. You can't grow at, uh, with, without uh, taking away the dead parts, mm-hmm. uh, the things that don't no longer need to be there. The unlearn, that, I think that's the perfect title. We yeah. have to unlearn some of this stuff so then we can learn what was right. No, that's awesome. I like, I love the the plow the land analogy or just putting new roots in just that mm-hmm. whole vegetation analogy. That's awesome. That's actually perfect, actually. <laughs> I love well, it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I truly enjoyed your book. I uh, did. I did. I interrupt you. No, I was just going to say that's actually true. Like you do have to unearth everything and and unlearn basically to get to the point of okay, how can we rebuild here? Yeah, but no, go I, ahead. I loved your book. I think everybody needs to uh, read this book, whether you have student loan debt or not. It's really not just about student loan, uh, student loans. It's really about mindset. It's about consistency. And it's also to me, here I am telling you what your book is about, (laughs) but to me, it's about vision. It's about looking forward. But before we look forward, let's make sure we take care of all the stuff hidden in the closet before we look forward. And so I thank you for uh, laboring and putting this, this book together. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't, I feel like I don't need to say say anymore, but yes. Oh no, please do. (laughs) No, it's, it was an amazing process to actually comb through like all my thoughts and put it on paper and figure out, okay, I want to come from a place of just being genuine. Like you mentioned, I want to be very genuine. I want to be really real. And I'm again, not an expert or guru of any kind, just someone purposefully sharing their story of how I got from point A to Z and the the things behind the scenes that a lot of people don't want to talk about or or deal with or uh, confront is all the things that you need to actually realize in terms of actually building generate. You can't build if you don't have a foundation actually to build it off of. So to get to the root of a lot of the things that you are identifying when it comes to financial money management will then help you build that generational wealth that we just talked about. So super excited. I'm happy it's out there. I'm happy the debt is gone. I mean, praise be for that one. (laughs) But no, I, I really appreciate you. Thank you. No, thank you. Super excited for you. And one last time, where can they go to find the book and then also listen to your upcoming season of uh, mediocre to masterful? 
Yes, 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 yes. Mediocre to masterful.com. You can find literally all information there. But if you're just a social person, just go to at mediocre to masterful on Instagram and Facebook, and you'll see a lot of the same information there as well. And you'll see the book. And the book is available on Amazon. So if you're an Amazon person, you don't want to buy from the website, you can go to Amazon as well. So available in paperback and Kindle. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on Black Equity. I know this is our first conversation on Black Equity, but the doors are open. If you want to come <laughs> back in the future, uh, maybe at the end of your season of your podcast to, to reflect on the different things that you're learning or at the beginning of your next season, we would love to have you back uh, to just chop it up and have a, have a dope conversation. We look forward to it. Awesome. awesome. I would love that. Thank you so much. Wish you the best. Thank you. Another great episode here on Black Equity Podcast. Make sure you sign up and become a premium member of our community so you can get conversations like this early, access early, also investment opportunities, job opportunities, uh, opportunities galore. If you want to uh, partner or work with our guest today, make sure you send us an email over at blackequitynetwork at gmail.com and let's put something together. If you want to work with this guest or a guest from an earlier episode, send us a message today. Thank you so much for listening and we look forward to presenting a new episode in the future.